For November 13th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 802. Can we self-illustrate? Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers here are smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are swinging from one discursive technology to another discursive technology on a web of ideas and conjectures. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're kind of like uh, kind of like alternate reality versions of of one another. Three different cities never see us in the same place at the same time is that is that a coincidence i i don't think so i'm i'm matt rather i'm here with my good friends pete fenzel hey pete i'm also matt rather how's it going and uh <laughs> i was bit by a radioactive microphone and then we're all, I, we're all matt rather here matt <laughs> then i became a then i became a podcaster and uh mark lee yes how are you mark I'm doing great. I'm ready to swing into this. Uh, is this this is a canon event, gentlemen? This is I think a, it's fair to say. <laughs> this podcast what, is a canon. That's event. what. Shit, never mind. The um, uh, look, we're we're going to talk about uh, across the Spider Verse. That's the one with all the Beatles songs, right? No, sorry, that's across the universe. It's a different different movie entirely. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, across the Spider Verse, the uh, follow up to uh, what was it? Enter uh, into the Spider Verse. I said enter, which was kind of like into and enter, uh, an amalgamation entre, of those two words. Entre le Spider <laughs> entre uh, 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 Pete, en, en français, on dit uh, uh, verse spider. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and just just real quick around the horn, uh, Pete, was this was this film absolutely fabulous for you? Yeah, super great. Loved it. Uh, Mark, was this film absolutely wonderful for you? It was. Uh, I was totally taken by it. I and can't stop thinking about it. And for me, it was exuberant and joyful. That is the Overthinking a Podcast. Thank you very much. It probably doesn't deserve. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> that's, all, that's, that's all I got. Mark, you you kind of put this, you you sort of threw the dart into the into the corkboard that uh, affixed this index card to the calendar. Wow, that is a convoluted, uh, that is worthy of this movie, I think, is that, is that <laughs> metaphor just with its visual panache. Why, uh, why don't you tell us why uh, why you did that and what, uh, what drove you to want to, uh, to want to put this on the agenda? Yeah, I had the weird experience of having seen the last 40 minutes of it <laughs> before seeing the rest of it, which is very oh, disorienting. Wow. Um, but also, I think actually kind of helped and that I knew that I was going to end in a, in a cliffhanger. By the way, spoiler, uh, massive spoiler warnings for all the Spider-Verse movies, all books, all movies, all chapters. Um, all what? And, and uh, of course, I was very intrigued by this. I was like, wow, well, you know, this looks amazing as I would expect it to, you know, given this, this predecessor, which I'd seen. Um, and uh, I would love to know how they wound up in this very awkward predicament <laughs> where Miles Morales enters the, uh, returns to the wrong universe and encounters himself as the Prowler. Um, and on top of that as well, too, uh, I just, uh, on a whim, because it was on sale, I got the, like, the 2019 Spider-Man video game. Which, if you're not familiar with it, just like know that it kind of perfectly. It, uh, the consensus is that it perfectly encapsulates um, the spirit of being Spider-Man. You know, the joy of uh, you know swinging on webs through New York City and punching bad guys and listening to Peter Parker quip. Lots of quips. 
lots of running commentary uh, and most of it witty, some of it a little bit annoying, but that's all, you know, again, like very much in the spirit of it. So I've got a lot of Spider-Man. I had a lot of Spider-Man on the brain and was very glad when I saw that uh, this movie, the new uh, Across the Spider-Verse movie, was dropped on Netflix. So please, if you if you are still listening and you haven't seen this movie, go stop what you're doing right now. Go see it on Netflix before it uh, disappears uh, into another dimension. And uh, I knew this movie had me from the like within like five or ten minutes or so. Where, like there's, there's the the you're you're we're, we're start the movie from the perspective of Gwen Stacy, Ghost Spider, um, and there's a knockdown dragout fight in the Guggenheim. Um, by the way, great call out to you know a a, a a an iconic New York City location that you actually don't see often in movies, and of course it's animated, so they don't have to worry about actually getting you know permission to shoot there and that sort of thing. And so like two things that are just like kind of really blowing my mind here is that the villain is in an alternate universe version of the Vulture, um, super villain, but he's like basically from a Leonardo da Vinci drawing, and it's like it's no way to describe it, but like a Leonardo da Vinci drawing come to life, and also speaking in like uh, uh, Italian accented English, which is hysterical. Um, and as they're going through the museum and causing mayhem, uh, you know, they crash into an, ex- an exhibit and, you know, uh, objects scatter about and it's all this modern art stuff. And one of the characters quips to the other, it's like, well, is this even art? And, you know, as bam, crash, mayhem, mayhem. And then the other character quips back, well, we're talking about it. Um, which I just loved. And like, you know, does like, I would love to see if there's like, uh, a, a bigger metaphorical meaning to that particular quip, but just like in the moment, um, like the fact that they're in the Guggenheim, they're commenting on the art, the modern art in the Guggenheim. And uh, it seems to be gesturing, talking about the, the broader art of cinema and animated movies. Um, it just really felt delightful and like kind of, uh, you know, a, a pr- at the right level of tickling the intellect while also engaging in the, um, the very uh, the, the visceral uh, nature of cinema as well too. So kind of brain, heart, mind, soul, um, sound, sight, and sound all coming together um, in just a wonderful package. So Wait, ca- characters talking, yeah. uh, characters talking about a, a thematic thing on point with the uh, with the larger themes of the movie. Mark, that sounds suspiciously like a Downton Abbey moment. Mm. I don't know if uh, you know. I wouldn't call it that because you know I wasn't. Uh, I have not been into the 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 Abbeyverse as you guys have been. Didn't really watch that show. So I've I, been, I can't really claim to uh, pinpoint a Downton Abbey moment. But sure, if you want to, go ahead. Be my guess. I've gone. I mean, I've gone across the Abbeyverse. Uh, what and got back in time to uh, the Gilded Age on uh, HBO. Mm. And, but I won't call what I won't call Max. But um, but Pete, I wonder you, if there's a Spider-Man in that universe. By the way, there totally should be a Spider-Man universe. Sorry, yeah, there if is. The guy, if the guy takes his bandages off his face, he's actually Spider-Man underneath. No, they made a documentary about it. It's called Wild Wild West. It has uh, <laughs> <laughs> a giant spider, if memory serves. <laughs> Um, the uh, you know the Downton Abbey moment is a thought technology created by our own Peter Fenzel uh, for uh, understanding for understanding works of filmed entertainment, and um, it reminds me of what what in English class we used to call like paradigmatic passages. Uh, that is to say, if you read a novel, um, you can find in it some sort of some sort of uh, statement of the author or the narrator, some sort of scene or sequence in the novel where it seems to resonate more broadly with the uh, uh, with the themes of the novel, where one description of a of a you know I don't know of a 
sunrise or of a character walking down the street or of an interaction between two people. One description will contain within it somehow the whole kind of artistic project uh, of the larger work. And and Pete uh, Pete does uh, adds to this the uh, caveat that it can't really the Downton Abbey moment has to involve Maggie Smith eating tea cakes. Um, <laughs> it it can't really be part of the main action of the plot. It should seem ancillary to the plot but uh with uh with a thematic resonance that is you know um uh, sort of deeply entwined with uh with the plot and and very often it involves trivial events like uh like parties and and uh you know things like eating cake you know <laughs> Pete is there is there a scene in this movie with party and a cake uh, or is it uh or is there a different Downton Abbey moment that, well, that there, you want there to is out? the cake is worth the cake is by the way, not a lie. The cake is, in fact, the truth. Uh, but uh, I did want to say something about the cake, which is a little bit of something different, which is, of course, that uh, for those who really know their Spider-Man, they might appreciate that this whole movie can be interpreted uh, as a remake of the classic Spidey and Amazing Friends episode where they have to get Hulk's birthday cake to Hulk's birthday on time. Uh, and then they get wow. smashed. Wow. <laughs> Good reference. Nice. This, nice is one of, this is one of the most important episodes of television that has been watched in my family. And that is not an exaggeration. Uh, so so this is this is an episode. Have you ever watched Spidey and His Amazing Friends, Mark? You know, it's funny. Uh, we listen to the music a lot, which, by the way, yeah. it's by Patrick Stump from Fall Out Boy yeah. fame. This is a kids TV show. But yeah, this is a spider. Is this, anime oh, show. little kids. This is a Spider-Man TV show for baby children, for like children who are like three, because yeah. the fighting is all like vaguely suggested. And they're mostly dealing with like everyday Daniel Tiger type problems. And in this episode and the episodes are short. They're like, you know, 10 minutes long. Uh, and there's two of them per, you know, per show. And in this and I won't dwell on Spidey and Amazing Friends that much, though it does include Spidey. Ghost Spider and Spin, right? Which, which, aka Miles Morales, aka yeah. Miles Morales, which proposes a way in which all of these characters might not all have to be Spider Man, right? They actually give them, they they do refer to them sometimes as Spider Man in the sort of visuals, but there's there's discourse happening in Spidey and His Amazing Friends that is also happening in this movie about who is Spider Man, who isn't Spider Man, and who are you when you're not Spider Man, but also are Spider Man. But mm. the point of this episode is that they have to get Hulk's birthday cake to Hulk's birthday party, and Spidey is supposed to get it, and he's late. Uh, and and he gets uh, waylaid along the way by the entire rogues gallery of uh, of Spidey and his amazing friends, which includes the Gobby, the Green Goblin, Rhino, who generally runs into things and is pretty harmless, uh, Doc Ock, who is played by who is who is a woman in Spidey and his amazing friends, which is very progressive, uh, and uh, and has of course op- uh, octopus arms and, and crawls around and does stuff, and uh, they they capture Spidey and they wrap him in a giant present so he can't escape, and they're gonna like force him to watch them eat the cake. Uh, and he manages to get out and get the cake and the robot helps and all this other stuff happens. But the, the ending spoiler alert for this is that Hulk opens the, the, the sort of takes off like the, the uh, cloche of his birthday cake. He like opens the box of his birthday cake and it's absolutely just wrecked because it's been thrown around while swinging through the city uh, for the entire time. And, uh, and it's just, it's just, it's just paste. And, and he, there's this one moment where he's like, it's, Perfect, because Hulk loves smash cake, because he loves <laughs> smash cakes. 
And and of course, this also has to do with what is this the whole movie is about, which is do you like smash cake? Right. Which is uh, I mean, it's a stretch to interpret this as like Miles Morales bringing the cake to his dad's uh, promotion party. Uh, he brings a smashed cake uh uh in this in the same vein as spidey is amazing friends but i didn't see any other spidey and amazing friends references in the movie i'm sure they're in there somewhere but that's not the downton abbey moment that's just me getting a little meta textual on everybody the, the downton abbey moment for me jumped out really clearly which was the report card oh no the college report card the college admission meeting mm. right the the college admission meeting it's with, rachel with, Dratch. with rachel Dratch. yeah <laughs> oh nice that's what it was okay love it yeah. love it even more where, where miles is late and he hasn't shown up and she has that little line where she she describes her job, right? She says, my job is uh, every person is a universe, and my job is to capture that universe on a piece of paper. And they say, but it's blank, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, and so this, of course, uh, calls out I – mean, no purpose statement for this movie, I think, can – will really ring true to me if it doesn't include some sort of meta discussion of animation, illustration, even portraiture. Uh, and, you know, this is sort of portrait of Spider-Man as a young man, as a young woman, as an old Hispanic guy, as a, as a pig. You know, portrait of a Spider-Man is everything. Uh, but, um, but what is happening in the art of this movie, the visual art of the movie, is super important. And I think, to me, they, so not only did they describe, okay, every person is a universe – which uh, creates, which which dwells with some of the artistic challenges that the movie is both posing and dealing with, which is every time they come up with a new spider person, the new Spider-Man person has to have a new art style. And I would love to hear what you guys think about, you know, you might think of a painter or, you know, a portraiture artist, a comic artist as having an art style, but you don't necessarily think of a subject as having an art style. Right, as having a sort of appropriate art style. The idea that the writer should be seamlessly moving in and out of, I mean, I said writer, but writer, illustrator, painter, of any sort of particular art style in order to appropriately capture the character uh, of a particular subject. Now, then you ask, there was the question, which I'll, you know, I'll punch you guys in a little bit, is like, are these people, are the spider people subjects or are they artists? Are they supposed to be conceived of as self-illustrating or are they being illustrated? Uh, and, and in that sense, what does that say about, uh, you know, sort that of gets to the heart of the movie, the, the themes of the movie direct. Wow. OK, yeah. great stuff here. And, and, and there's the one thing I just wanted to say about the report card thing before punting it is that she does then craft a very cliche story about him being you know, a kind of a minority who didn't do well in his language classes because of his <laughs> systemic disadvantage, not because of his not caring about Spanish. Right. Like, Beyond uh, that, he's also she, the, she's also like just kind of harmfully stereotyping oh, uh, the, the, the parents as being like, you know, frankly, like lower economic status, even though they're doing quite well for themselves. Right. Which is, I guess this is which is part. So part of the trick of the question of whether the spider people are self-illustrated or not is the question of where to align a new a, a, a new historicist idea of the illustration of them? I mean, you I guess you could you could say it's sort of a critical historicist view because every spider character is illustrated in a style that relates to their predominant socio-political economic identity as conceived of in some way by the artist. 
right? Like, like all, there's this, there seems to be in this movie, and you feel free to interrogate this if you want, a, a notion that an authentic illustration of a person has to include art styles and art style elements that come from that person's history and also from their kind of position, right? Uh, you know, Miles Morales, he's very associated with graffiti and street art and Brooklyn style. He wouldn't be Miles Morales if he were drawn in a different style. But at mm -hmm. the same time, the movie is calling into question the idea that the story of him being the uh the the kid with the parents and the disadvantage and the problems who kind of becomes excellent through education uh is 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 uh well is problematic right um as it were you know we don't like to use that word too much without interrogating it a little bit but um we we it's it's in one hand it's it's painting that sort of picture it's 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 pulling that sort of story and laughing at it and saying like this story is obviously wrong and you shouldn't be doing it but at the same time the movie is engaging with this sort of historicity historiography i don't know what the word the suffix to put on the word history to really nail down the idea that like you know ghost spider has pink streak in her hair and you know she has a sort of collage uh element to a lot of her visual style i mean they all do but it's like uh but you know, it's she's she's a girl of a certain age and a certain time yeah sorry go ahead no, I, I mean, I think that like, uh, I think that that the the like proper thought technology to understand what's going on is the the technology of kind of the remix album or something like that. Is to say, I f I feel like this movie stands in relation to uh, previous Spiders Men um, that in in the way that Van Helsing stands in relation to Gothic horror, uh, <laughs> right? That that is to say. Um, you're 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 dealing with a document right in in this film you're dealing with a document that is constructed right and it's it it's a visual heteroglossia um and and that's across different dimensions not that's across the spider first right not not just across the dimension of there are uh live action bits in this film there are full motion animated bits in this film there are freeze frame comic book panels in this film there are uh little call out um uh, dialogue or uh narration boxes and bubbles uh in this the film is annotated it annotates itself it's amazing Hundred percent, right? Like, it's, so it's it's a it's a it's a visual heteroglossia, and also a visual heteroglossia ac across the the dimension of kind of like having different different um, uh, art styles, right? But the art style of this film, right, is to be. Uh, a, a heteroglossia, right? And so I, it's interesting, Pete, because like the the um, the new historicist reading would be that like the um, the conditions, especially the material, like the economic conditions uh, or you know social conditions of a particular time, produce creative expressions right or or are kind of like what what i don't know what they would say they would probably have like really long uh words to describe it but are kind of bound up in you know the the production of of artistic works and i i think it would be i one trap that you that not you that one can fall into is to think that this film that that there are kind of two two time frames there's kind of a double lens going on right there's like noirish uh, noirish Spider-Man done in a noir style or, um, you know, or whatever, uh, that like, uh, 
was an original expression bound up in the material realities of its time. And then there's this, which is kind of like the Wicca Wicca remix, where we kind of bring all the all the things in. But like the the style now, but the, this this film is no less a this film is no less a product of its material circumstances than the the uh, the other styles were right and Ooh. so what it means to be a bricolage and to have that be the the dominant art form right uh in in telling it is um i, I don't know is an interesting question because it's not uh it's not separate right it's it's not kind of like oh well all those other art styles are art styles but what we are is kind of an index no we're we're more than an index it's it is a kind of an artistic production it's a it's a work of creative expression it's and it's its style is to be you know sort of a, to be kind of like multilingual uh kind of multiliterate um in uh, in engaging all of these things, it it seemed to me like practically that it worked like when you jumped dimensions, your art style, your art style changed, and so like when they went to uh, what was the Mumbai Manhattan? Was it called Mumbatan? Mumbai, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. When Love they went it. to that, they all kind of got subsumed into this i guess this gives uh, into that style i guess this gives further uh credence to um to pete's idea that like the art the art style is kind of bound up in the material realities of the the universe that you're jumping into because like when when spider gwen comes to uh miles morales's earth she looks like she's drawn um like him like when they have the the talk the upside down talk right that they um uh that they have she doesn't look like she looks in band practice she looks more like uh she looks more like he does in his um i don't know in in his thing and so like just pra just practically speaking it seems to like the art style seems to inhere in uh, in the realities of the world, like you get, you get the sense that if Miles went to Lego, Lego dimension, uh, would he be expressed as Lego or would he be expressed as um, uh, Miles as as you see him in the thing? I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. But I thought, I mean, I don't know. I just loved the the, I loved the kind of the exuberance of the kind of the the no holds barred visual. Um, you know, visual style of it, and just the 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 audacity of some of the of some of the things that you can do in in animation that like really taken from from comics, where the art tends to ex, uh, to embrace the uh, expressive potential of really extreme perspective, like really low or high angle shots, you know, shots that kind of like distort the the form, the human form, if it's a, a human looking character or whatever, into um, into to like you know really expressive unusual shapes uh stuff like that i don't know the 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 um like it was very joyful it was very exuberant for me kind of just like feeling the the different fe feeling the bricolage and the kind of like the creative possibilities that that uh that it unfolded pete i kind of got off of your new historicist track there a, a little bit just by by fanboying about the oh, yeah, art style but i i i uh, i enjoyed it a great deal yeah, I mean, Mark, you connected with one or two things I mentioned in there. I guess thinking about, like, are you self-illustrated? I guess that's sort of yeah. what the spot is doing. Or what what, what resonated with you about that? Um, we should get to the spot later. Um, okay. But, like, the main thing around there, like, are you self-illustrated or are you illustrated? Right? Like, well, 
the, the movie struggles uh, the movie the characters in the in the movie struggle with this and it's kind of the whole meta discussion as well too so let's start kind of in the in the most tangible concrete way with the with those with the characters themselves which is that like you know in the, the story at, at face value is that like you know um uh, a mean spider uh mean mexican spider-man says <laughs> that uh, basically everyone is bound up by fate that like you know we have these canon events they cannot be disrupted they must proceed or else it will literally destroy the entire known universe right or at the, at the very least the worst you're, at the, the best you can hope for is that um the particular dimension that you're in that will be destroyed and then presumably there's kind of a cascading effect there right so that is the sense which like you are your fate is illustrated by others right and miles you know is pushing back on that and saying you know like no i illustrate myself i tell my own story um and you know there's of course there's a big cliffhanger there we're gonna see how it plays out and you know i I, mean, I think uh you know it's miles story right like the, his point of view like he's gonna find a third way right you know that uh um managed to break free of kind of the this notion of of fate of no fate but what you make for yourself right um to, to borrow a phrase um but then like the, the to zoom that out again to the movie itself right it's dealing with these things around like you know we're making a spider-man movie right and therefore we are in a certain way we're we are uh not self-illustrating we are being illustrated by all the spider-man stories and superhero stories that have come before us and can we still tell a new spider-man story and carve out our own way can we self-illustrate in this way and the movie of course is coming down and resoundingly yes well it's the same yes but yes to both why not both um right. that that is like the the the, uh, the the audacity and the kind of amazing success of these of of this movie is that uh you know w- within the narrative right you know the um you know the there's a sense that you certainly are bound by your past right and that also goes to the relationship between gwen and miguel and and, and miles with their parents right you know like it is honoring their it, they they cannot escape their heritage they must you know reconcile with their parents um but they also must tell their own stories and grow up and be self-actualized as adults on their own. And then also, um, you know, the, the, the movie makers here are saying that, well, yes, we can honor our heritage. We can reference and boy, the hell do they reference uh, just spider every instance of Spider-Man ever known. Um, we can do all that uh, and we can do our own new thing as well. So it, it all it all comes together. Bricolage is the word we're using here, right? Which is, is, is this just a fancy way of just like all of the above? Just uh, uh combining and mashing up tons of stuff together is that yeah, fair like, to say what the yeah, pick, kind of like picking out you know uh picking out uh, things kind of i uh, kind of co- collage you know um yeah it is collage is at a, at a breathtaking s- scope and scale and pace right that's something right. else that just really struck out on me is this movie just does not um it it it, it does not that it's rushed it doesn't it, it's not that it doesn't pause for breath it's just um, throws a lot at you and is not afraid to do so. Um, and uh, we talked about the annotations before, right? Now, if there's a criticism to be had for this movie, maybe it's that it's over, it, it, it borders on overstuffed and like there's um, things in there like, you know, if, if you blink it, you miss it, the, the references. Um, you know, the, 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 what I mentioned before, the, the Guggenheim sequence, right? Um, one of the characters throws out a nearly throwaway line. Um, it's like, you know, he's got hammer space. Right. And then there's, you know, for probably the, the, the three of us, you know, Hammer Spaces, um, which is like the, the you know, a cartoon character, like uh, well, primarily the Wiley Coyote. Yeah, it's the three previous dimensions to Hammer Time. 
Oh, yeah. they, look, Wait. Hammer Space and Hammer Time were, were proven to actually be part of one Hammer continuum. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and so while I like- might believe that Hammer Time or Hammer Space might have a conclusion, in fact, further study into the curvature of Hammer Space and Hammer Time would reflect that the universe itself is too legit to quit. And my- <laughs> oh, there you go. Nailed it. Nailed it. That's, okay, just yeah, a to, Sorry, to wrap up this point here, right? Like the the reference to hammer space is thrown out there, and it's talking about how cartoon characters can like stuff an entire hammer uh, into their pants, into their body. Like Wiley Coyote could just like pull a hammer out of his butt. Not even that, right? It's like it's a, it's a nonsense space. Um, uh, and then there's also a little annotation, like in the corner, that's there. Um, you could make an argument that you neither needed to have that reference nor the annotation in there. Um, but the movie does it anyway. And, you could, you, know, you could also, yeah, um, you could also suggest that uh, that the movie is being made with the knowledge of the technologies that might be used to watch it later, and that it truly makes sense nowadays for a movie to have something you can catch on only freezing a single frame on it because everyone's going to do that because you can all yes. like watch and rewind the movie on your phone and watch it over and over and over again, yeah. and so you could go to that. F- frame and you could pick it out or you could go to like a dozen other youtube channels that will all do it for you <laughs> so it's sort of part of the uh part part of the the experience yeah. of you know afforded by the media watching it is it. it's really hard like I've, I've heard someone say a podcaster i like say never give the internet a puzzle right because it's uh you know this is going to be the movie that launched a thousand explainer videos and like anytime anytime there's the, and there are very cynical ones there are ones on like you know websites that just do this kind of thing and like catalog these things joylessly as well but then they're going to be like uh real enthusiasts of this ta- talking about it the way that that like taylor swift's music videos are sort of di- dissected for their uh for their uh, you know latent semiotic content um but yeah, the the this is I mean this was this was the great thing about the about the visual style the the kind of like multilingual visual style that like this is a comic book thing and there's no reason like m- more movies should have annotations don't you think Mark <laughs> like wouldn't it be wouldn't it be better don't you think that like uh, Citizen Kane would be much improved if every time they said Rosebud. There was a little Chiron on the screen that said his sled. The <laughs> <laughs> DVD commentaries. You can get that. You watch it on Amazon. There's all sorts of ways that you can get this kind of. Do they do that? Net? They do it on, net, on Amazon, right? What? What? Do they do it on other services oh, too? Oh yeah, they like. There is on Amazon, like you, you pause things and it shows you like it, it like what it summarizes the thing for you. Or there are like Wikipedia entries you can get annotations. And I, the, the reason I use that Pete sometimes like, you know, watching a season of Bosch or something or Reacher or whatever <laughs> is, uh, I want to know what, um, I want to know what the actors' names are, and that is a, yes. a pretty useful thing to, to, uh, hit pause and see the whole cast, every, everyone on screen annotated for you. So, so to connect this back to something that Mark had said earlier, uh, that you asked, okay, what about you know? Oh, it's art. Oh, we're talking about it, right? Um, we we could the construction of the canon uh, that you talked about with regards to Spider-Man twenty ninety nine and whatnot. Uh, this also raises an interesting question about what a canon is, because. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I mean, a defender of canon like myself, uh, it, it would suggest that the reason that you might have a canon is because the works that are in a canon are particularly influential or connected to other works. And so by prioritizing reading them, you develop a, a baseline that you can use for familiarity with other works that are, you know, copy them or are like them in some way. Right. But however, the other view of the other view of canon would be that these are kind of the best things. Uh, or the most morally uh, acceptable things, and that's why we have to teach them. But in comic books, you have this whole other meaning of canon, which is that it's the events that really happen because they have to kind of rein in all the, like, special editions and, like, oh, yeah, you know, this Batman isn't really a samurai. We just thought it would be cool to make a Batman samurai comic. Like, that's not canon, right? Like, the notion in, in the sort of the fandoms that there is a real fictional universe wherein all of the the inconsistencies have been resolved and we know what really happened to all these imaginary people. And I, I, I joke about it, but it's a huge part of how these entertainments function across all their different media. You know, that's the canon, and uh, which is very different from these other ideas about canon. Um, but the notion of it's art, if we talk about it, you know, you could argue that that's what a canon is. That canon is what you talk about. And so the thing that makes a Spider-Man a canon is that you're so influenced by that initial Spider-Man character and story that your influence carries over into all of your different kind of spins and imitations, such as spin, right? Ego Spider and whatnot. Um, that all of the different imitations of Spider-Man are imitations out of an influence by Spider-Man and the story of Spider-Man, right? Or they are out of a recognition of the excellence of Spider-Man, right? And a sort of belief that it's one of the proper stories that ought to be told, uh, in that the appropriate way, or it's more the commercial mercenary sense of like, this is the thing that has to be real because I need there to be only one version of this story that is real. Like I need there to be a reality associated with my fiction um, because otherwise I can't tolerate it. Uh, and, and these all kind of, so like that's in trying to fish for where this is all going that's something that comes to mind for me is this connection between, okay, every character is a universe, meaning they each come from a given place that has a particular style that's also associated with their personality and is associated with the kind of culture that they're associated with. Uh, and then, then each of these different spider spider people has a particular association in those, in those ways. Um, but then those further create, you know, either emerge from different canons or are connected to the Spider-Verse canon. Um, by either the power of the Spider-Man character as a meme, or, right, or uh, the authority of the lawyers that are constantly negotiating different arrangements for Spider-Man, I suppose. Um, I mean, does that ring a bell with anybody? My, Matt, you have strong feelings about canon that are not always the same as mine. Did, did the canon narrative... I guess part of what I'm fishing for here is, is Miguel a good guy or a bad guy for what he's doing? And if he's a bad guy, what sort of bad guy is he? Is he a studio executive? Is he like a, is he a, a, an old white man, English teacher? Uh, is he like what 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 is the measure of his of his evil? Yeah, I mean he's a, he's exactly he's like writing a uh, he's writing a pre eighteen hundred English seminar curriculum, <laughs> right? Is or, uh, or moderating a Spider Man forum, being like that didn't really happen. That Spider Man is not real. But yeah, no, he's, he's, <laughs> he's a Reddit mod. That's totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go. I want to go at this question because this okay. struck me as being something that was really interesting. I want to go at at at, at a um, 
I'm going to go at it at a slightly different angle, though. I think the superhero stakes complicate this question uh, so much, right? Because, like, it's, you know, we look at we look at stories like this and through kind of heightened means, they are getting at a a, a, a deeper truth, or like a, a truth that's kind of universal for human experience, or at least recognizable from human experience. Like, we watched The Hunger Games, and I, I, they must be releasing something new, because YouTube has suddenly, seems to me, that has decided that I need, like, every third recommended video to be a clip from The Hunger Games. Um, but but remember, in The Hunger Games, uh, the, the main contention is that uh, isn't having parents kind of like being raised under a violent fascist regime and aren't those two things really the same in a lot of in a lot of really important ways and you know so we, we kind of we when one thought technology that we employ is to kind of look for what this means. And I, I don't totally know uh, what it means to be like, you know, your father must die or the universe will end. I mean, you know, what? Uh, who is this? Like, uh, sounds sounds biblical you know i'm not i'm not totally sure like is it that like there are things about himself uh about adult life about loss that he he needs to accept like one of the things about spider-man about the character is kind of its optimism and it's trying to to square the circle a little bit no i can save them both i can save them both and that that's like you know um that that to a certain extent in un, unless you are un, unless you you have the experience of sort of hearing the final no um sometimes you don't you don't grow like you don't grow past adolescence you don't actually uh, actually become an adult and that's you know uh, maybe maybe that's it but like we all or or is it about group membership right like this uh this group membership involves certain you know, certain rituals um, involve certain rites of passage, and everyone who is a member of this group has undergone uh, these these same experiences, these same rites of passage. And and if you refuse to go uh, through these things, like you're not you're not really a part of the group, and like you ought to be a part of the group or, or something. There could be all kinds of normative claims around that. But that that like um, so it's it's difficult, Pete, for me to like really zero in on uh, the specific argument about canon about about these things that that have to happen um in order to uh in order to kind of answer your question because i'm i'm not totally sure what the stakes are like what what is the kind of the correlate for like for what what miguel is is saying in the in the fantasy situation what is the kind of the the underlying human experience being gestured at i was i was more put in mind of sort of different of like i don't know Hesiod's theogony versus like Ovid's metamorphoses or something, something like that, that, that like certain myths, certain characters are sort of retold, um, retold over and over and over. And I think like, uh, definitely like superhero comics have, have done this and the kind of the Marvel multiverse situation makes it possible, um, for all this to happen, you know, for all this to happen. And that like, um, 
you can retell Spider-Man. But like, I don't know, is is Miles Morales recognizably Spider-Man? Yeah, absolutely. Like even without the tragic sense, right? Like even without the kind of the the uh, the understanding the with great power comes great responsibility. Um, type of thing. And I, I don't know, a real devotee of, of Spider-Man will probably, you know, justifiably say, I don't know what I'm talking about, but like it, it, he, he's not, not Spider-Man, right? Like he's not, uh, he doesn't, he's not illegible uh, as a Spider-Man without this, uh, without this thing. And so like he, he, so Miguel's claim seems like it's Miguel's claim that he has to kind of undergo uh, all of this suffering uh, in order to kind of achieve his apotheosis, right? Like um, that claim seems like really uh, mean spirited, given that like he's he's do he's functioning as a Spider Man, like he's doing the job of a Spider Man. Maybe he's a you know ex officio. Maybe he's like a Spider Man pro tem. You know, he's like a a temporary a temporary replacement Spider Man, but he's 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 doing it. And so the idea that like these these things have to happen in order for him to uh, you know I don't know to to be it seems mean spirited to me. And and ju- that com- combined with the way he's drawn and the way that Miguel's like. Miguel's Spider-Man doesn't have any of the the kind of the joyfulness, the kind of like um, even like noir Spider-Man, you know, seems like a pastiche. You know, it doesn't have any of those qualities. Uh, it's it is uh, it it seems a little too gritty reboot um, to really be to really be Spider-Man, and that's like um, I don't know. It was seems like he seems like a little more a little more villainish to me i don't know that's a very long monologue about that but mark did you i mean do you have a do you have a, a read on miguel like do you think he's uh do you think he's a good guy or is he a bad guy he's a, he's a good guy he says so manifestly in the film um okay some thoughts on miguel I, it's hard to draw direct parallels like you know from miguel to various keepers of the canon like i don't know the catholic church or um you know uh marvel studio executives or something like that right like there is certainly like you know i think we can describe to him good intention even though he's drawn quite villainously um it's 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 a more general um he's meant to stand in for a more generally narrow view of how to uh interpret and imagine about comic book events uh, or, or like, or how to interpret characters that are 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 well known and well loved. Um, I th- I think that's that. So to contrast that, um, go back to to Miles for a second. Like this is uh, an obvious point, but it's worth putting out there as well. Like there's an identity aspect of this as well, uh, which is that to cover a few bases here. Right? I think uh, I'm pretty sure there was a dumb culture war thing. Um, a few years ago, when people were, you know, the the mere notion of of, of Miles Morales was quote unquote offensive to uh, quote unquote purists of Spider Man, right? You know, Spider Man, you know, Peter Parker's got to be this this white boy kind of thing, and just like the mere the the uh, the rumors that uh, you know Miles would you know be put in the forefront of Spider Man narratives was was a offensive to some people right because so but, what Mark, come on, be real. If Brooklyn is synonymous with anything, it's white culture. And that's uh, you know, it's why it's <laughs> why that Peter Parker. That's why Spider-Man is supposed to be from Queens. That's supposed to. Be- <laughs> oh, is he? Is from Queens? I thought he was talking about oh Miles Morales. Also, notoriously a monolithic white culture. 
<laughs> I mean, to be fair, right? You know, it's, the, the characters are created at a different time, right? In the 60s. Mm. But to, 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 to flesh out this point here, last, last thing around Miles, is that, again, to state the obvious, but it's worth putting, reading into the record here, right? He is a syncretic person himself. Uh, I don't know what the right word is. Can you say inter- intersectional? Like, you know, he's black. He's uh, he's Afro-Latino, yeah. right? Um, you know, he's got a Latino, Latino mother. He's got a, a black and an African-American father he exists between these two worlds he his you know he is canon defines in and of himself right he doesn't easily fit a category or narrative um you know the sort of this like inevitable inexorable march of canonical events that uh, apply to an entire race of people um that just does not fit him at all right and that is also backed up by this notion that you know he was an accidental spider-man was bitten by a a spider that somehow crossed over into the wrong universe and bit him kind of like, you know, uh, uh, absent a, an off, off of the track of any particular Ken canon. Um, so th- that's, uh, that's my kind of read on the kind of the, the miles and Miguel, uh, and Miguel dichotomy there. Um, I do Pete, like, let's, let's go back to you. Like, you know, Miguel, like, who is he for you then? I would say that lacking clarity on what whether he's right or wrong about his cosmology, which, you know, presumably matters to the next movie. The one thing that Miguel isn't in favor of, ironically, is abundance, I would say. Right. That that uh, Miguel is grieving. So if if we look at it, I, I, it makes me think about. um Oh, what's this? Josh Brolin, what Josh Brolin said about Thanos, I think on the Letterman show once, which was that it's not it's not what Thanos thinks. It's his the, it's his preponderant attitude and, and and the way he goes about it. It's his callousness that Thanos is evil, not his Malthusianness, Right. Just the, the, the degree to which he just does not care about anybody else. Uh, and that and that sort of means that, you know, whether his argument is, is valid or not doesn't really matter because of how he is. And so maybe one way I would interpret Miguel is that his his argument might be right. But the problem is that he is so grief stricken that he cannot comprehend or internalize the abundance around him, the spider abundance. Right. The, the many, many, many different Spider-Mans. Right. And uh it's like he's saying I'm the only one that can do it. No, there's a lot of um, Spider-Man all over the place that can do it. Right. Like like the idea that in his situation, he would ever think that he has no help. That has to be on him. And the the reason I think this more than Miguel's characterization is thinking about Mumbatten and thinking about the what happens when. The Indian Spider-Man's uh, girlfriend's father is the police captain mm-hmm. when he yeah, survives right. and you get to see him standing next to the two of them. There's this throwaway piece and maybe the pieces didn't line up the way that I thought they did, but because I didn't go back and rewatch it. But there was a museum that was in the setting that was supposed to be a British museum that had sort of taken and appropriated and captured Indian artifacts, right? Isn't that sort of reference to the throwaway line? The British took all of our stuff, right? Yeah, and then that there's is, this, yeah, there's reference to that. So maybe there's some, so maybe the maybe the setting involves a sort of British imperial authority. Maybe that's the idea. I have no idea. I should have done my homework. Uh, I did not do any homework uh, in in the various other spider spider mans that are in this thing. 
But when the and, and when the the captain is saved, the rift opens around the building that is pointed to as the symbol of British imperialism. Hmm. I believe I believe it's that building. And the notion that that building needs to be preserved for the sake of the canon suggests to me then mirroring back to the, que- the question of Rachel Dratch being like, well, we have to talk about how your parents aren't supporting you. We have to find the thing, the character development about you, about what you lack. We have to find the thing you don't have. You know, the, you're a Dickensian orphan, right? <laughs> because it makes it easier to write the story. What's the what's the thing that orphaned you? And then how can this be thought of by flipping it as a pervasive sense of we're not allowed to have nice things. And in turn, a culturally internalized idea of we're not allowed to have nice things because we're, you know, we're not the we're not the first copy. We're not the original. Now, the original isn't in the isn't in this at all. Right. There's no like or Spider-Man. There's no like Stan Lee, 1960, whenever black and white. You know, original Spider-Man. Maybe he shows there, up in the next movie. There's Is not. You're right, Pete. I, I just uh, enjoyed very briefly. I think it's implied in the first movie that that Earth Spider-Man is dead. Right. Okay. And that uh, Miles now is kind of like the successor. Yeah. He's taken, but, taken his place and it, to a certain degree, but not totally. No, none of these people get to be the first version of themselves because they always have to carry forward something that's missing that has been passed down to them by some other person. And that this is this for them becomes a psychological burden as well as a material burden mm-hmm. um, where they they are. They have to think of themselves as missing something. And that's that's the sort of convoluted roundabout way in which we arrive at our Hunger Games dichotomy. Right. Which is like being a teenager is kind of feeling like something is always wrong with your life because you're always missing out on this thing. And the thing you're missing out in is the whole rest of your life. Don't worry about it. It will happen. You know, like enjoy. Enjoy the time you have now. Right. Gather your rosebuds while you may. But yes, you're not an adult yet and you are missing missing something right um but then what is the missing of something that is happening it's it's the it's the obsession with the bad things that have to happen in order for spider-man to be a story um and that's what i would say that's why miguel is the villain is because he's so obsessed with the backstory bad things and he's missing out and the good things i think peter parker with the baby says there are good things too, right? And and there's this constant running joke that Miguel keeps calling him a bad mentor, and he keeps being like, "He was like, I'm a pretty good mentor," <laughs> like, and he's like giving birth to the next generation and like talking about how there's some good things about being Spider-Man, and like these are things that are very against, uh, you know, the 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 mo of Miguel and and what it would mean to be Spider-Man. You know, it's there's not this generative sense of creating a future. There is this, you know, uh, attachment to a past. Uh, and, and that's and, specifically a past that involves death and loss. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, although he seems to have gotten a raw deal, why did his why did his kids go away? I don't understand exactly because what canon event didn't happen that was supposed to happen for him? Because he no, just I mean, he just totally stole somebody else's life, right? He's to- he stole somebody else's life. He Rick and Morty them, and, right? And just moved into their moved into their reality. But that that like. The bad thing is that doing that, you know, caused there to be caused them all to glitch away, or or something like that. I don't know. The, 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 it's notable that Miguel's story doesn't involve him missing a canon event, as far as I can tell, right? As like the main thing that caused what happened. Um, maybe it's in there somewhere, but it's a more general kind of like 
Loki time variance authority problem, right? Where it's like, oh no, you've you've gone to the wrong universe. You've created a split timeline. There's problems. I don't know. Um, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. But that, I mean, I it isn't. I think you're right to like to position it as a, a question of emphasis. Right. That is to say his uh, he's just too focused on the wrong things. Right. Like uh, like, you know, uh, Peter Parker, dad, like is right. You know, there's a lot of good stuff. And hey, let's you know, let's not let's not dwell. Uh, let's accentuate the positive. You know? <laughs> let's not dwell on Uncle Ben being dead. You know? <laughs> <laughs> for kids. <laughs> Spidey, the friends. Get the smash cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was Peter Parker's um, that particular version of Peter Parker. That was his narrative, his arc in the first movie, right? It's just kind of wallowing in self pity, right? Um, his right. loss of his of Uncle Ben and uh, the breakdown of his relationship with Mary Mary Jane, right? Um, and I can't remember the specifics of it, but basically the events of the first movie taught him, enabled him to move past all of that and to get back together with Mary Jane and have a kid. So right, right, good right, on him. Right. He's he's doing some work on himself, right? Like the spot is. Should we talk about the spot? Sure. Let's. Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, we're man. we're rounding the bend to the to the home stretch. So let's uh, let's get into the spot. I mean, like, yeah, Pete, your question is is about can you self illustrate or to what extent do they self illustrate is is interesting because like to what extent does the spot like self erase? <laughs> You know, mm. like he self de illustrates, right? His his uh he he becomes a he becomes a white form, you know, and then like that's not that's not sort of depersonalized enough for him. So he becomes a you know, like like uh the absence of color on the page. He becomes like the black screen uh without light projected projected onto it. And the the like the kind of the the absence of mass de- defines him um in the way that like uh illustration and kind of like the, the the positive characteristics of some of the other of the, of the spiders men uh d- you know um describe them i mean i don't i don't know he's sort of d d that's that um you know that's what i thought like he's he's kind of the anti-comic right like he's the 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 black hole he's the the giant eraser in duck amuck uh you know coming to <laughs> coming to like eradicate uh, everything that's there on the screen yeah, and, and he erases himself. The way he moves from one universe to the other, right, is that he goes within himself and finds the voids within himself. Right. Uh, and, and, and kind of swallows them, and that creates his apotheosis into sort of grand villain. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, needs a, he needs a support group or something, man. Like... <laughs> well, he finds Mrs. Chen. You would love the vet. Yes, of course. Gotta, you, you would have to, to like, uh, hang a lantern on the venom reference, right? That's of course. Yes. He, he didn't run into Woody Harrelson in uh venom to let there be carnage. He ran into Mrs. Chen, which oh, is, is that was the, the, when he, um, transports himself into the live action scene in San Francisco's Chinatown. That's yes. a venom reference. Have you not seen any of the venom movies, Mark? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so Mrs. Chen is a recurring character in the Venom movies who works at the convenience. She runs and owns the convenience store where Tom Hardy Venom goes to buy things. Uh, and, uh, Ven- and Venom is, of course, okay. always hungry. So one of the one of the running one of the running gags in the movies is that Venom is always arguing with Eddie Brock about eating humans. <laughs> like, I got to eat a person. I'm really hungry. And it's like, we don't eat people. Right. Like uh, and so he walks in the convenience store to get snacks 
and uh, and Venom wants to eat Mrs. Chen, and Mrs. Chen is having none of it. <laughs> like you're not going to eat Got it. me. But by the way, that's a like, great, that's a it's a great example of what we're talking about before. How like this movie is like ridiculously stuffed to the gills with references, right? And that yeah, the movie yeah, yeah. could have worked perfectly fine without that particular scene in there. But yeah. for someone like you, Pete, who is a noted fan of the Venom movies, just like added on to the joy. Yeah. Of the experience. I did. I did. And it, it helps barrage. It barrages you, right? It just keeps the hit, yeah. hits keep coming. So like, so the spots deal is that he's the anti miles Morales because he created the rift between universes that caused the spider to show up. That is what he, he, he constitutes as his nemesis. He's his nemesis because he is on the other end of this exchange. And then miles Morales destroys his machine and then screws him up like Joker style, right? Like that he becomes, he becomes this horribly defaced and and monstrous sort of villain person uh, that has to quasimodo his way through life. Not like the Joker, but but okay. So I'm just trying to figure out like what is his. So his deal is that he's lost his face, and I guess if Miles Morales's deal is that becoming Spider-Man is helping him discover his face. You know, his face is both you know, and the idea of the spot as being white and black. Uh, but Miles Morales as being, you know, black and also other things. Um, I mean, it, it's, it seemed hard. It seemed hard to get around the idea that like Miles Morales is like white eyes on black background. And when he was fighting him, the spot was like a black eye on a white background. And and that the uh, and the spot mm, had this sort of yeah. sense of cultural erasure that is often associated with critiques of whiteness in American society in particular. Um, but. But I guess that that's probably that's probably just as far as that goes. That's probably there's probably no need to launch it any farther than that. But just like what is it? Just what the spot is trying to enforce the rules of Spider-Man identity and thus constrain Miles's personal growth by preventing him from experiencing himself in order to force him to suffer because he was not allowed to develop into a full character. I'm just talking this out, guys, because I'm really I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, his thing is, that is his thing is basically a revenge plot, right? Like you yeah. t- you took everything from me, so I'll take everything. Everything. Well, yeah, but what, from what's his like meta? Is... What is he functioning as as the villain? What's what's his? Because he's the villain, right? Because we talk. It's the question is: Is Miguel the villain, or is the spot the villain? I guess is a, is an interesting question for this movie. Yeah, I mean, um, he's he's an antagonist for sure. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like it seems like the the um the. Uh, kind of the sort of one against the other the like is this is is this is this film really about uh miles morales versus the spot no i mean though i think the spot is kind of like a a proximate cause for a lot of habit things that happen it's it's sort of like this this film is is miles morales versus miguel isn't it that that's the that's the real uh, you know i don't know clash of ideas right like that's the real sort of uh, uh, clash that that happens, and and like also, I think not accidentally, it's the climactic fight. You know, like the the big big you know incredible sequence in in Spidey Central is pretty visual visually exciting and much more prolonged than any of the any of the spot fights that are you know that tend to be shorter right that tend to be little bagatelles uh compared with the the big symphony of of action that happens in in like spidey hq right and then there's the question of it of gwen stacy and the sort of romance i don't feel the romance between them in this movie so much but also how old are they it's very strange i don't 
I, that's not very strange. I just I don't know if Miles is 15. That makes me wonder how old Gwen Stacy is in this movie. I guess she's probably his age, right? Uh, but then, yeah, it's alluded to that she's having an affair with like this older 80s Brit punk guy or um, where we supposed? I don't know. I, no, well, I, I think that's mostly supposed to like fuel Miles's paranoia, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I think she might be like just crashing on his, you know. I like, I, I love that character. I thought he was oh, yeah. a very solid individual, you know. Oh, very I thought true, he was very true. Very, I wouldn't believe he would take advantage of a younger woman, well, especially someone who's kind of down on her luck, like you know, yeah. having trouble, having trouble at home, just needs a kind of safe couch to crash on for a little, for a little while, you know. Like that's uh. Um, you know, the, sometimes, sometimes, uh, Pete, the greatest anarchy of all is building a home. <laughs> <laughs> you, you telling me that, huh? I can tell you that. I, can tell you that. Uh, I do want to add one thing, which is that uh, if this movie, this movie has a geometric organizing principle, I believe, a sort of overarching one, and and I think for its action sequences because the the I love the action sequences and and like all great comic book movies the geometric organizing principle of the action sequences is related to the superpower of the superhero uh, and in this case it's like being flung whilst simultaneously like reaching out with your web at something mm-hmm. right it's the sort of like flinging and grabbing and the sort of pulling and flinging and grabbing the idea that there's an anchor point but there's also a sort of dynamic catapulting that's happening. Sure. Uh, and everybody yep. is sort of being sent through and is sort of trying to hold on to something. What is it that you're going to hold on to is part of the question, I guess. Um, right. um, is it canon events yeah. or is it a hope for a, you know, a positive future or is it your yeah. parents yep. um, or none of the above? Yeah. Or is, it just, say- or is it just the darkness inside of you in the case of the spot? I thought you were, <laughs> I thought you were about to say, Pete, uh, uh, thread the needle and ring the bell. <laughs> Which is, you know, what they say a couple times in the in the film, like whether it's, you know, going between the buses and or, or the train cars or something, some kind of transit thing. And then like uh, doing the uh, hitting the water tower or um, or isn't that how how he saves the bus or saves the, the police captain in Mumbatton? Uh, it says thread the needle, thread the needle and and ring the bell. But, yeah, it's, I mean, what what you say, kind of the the like. Um, flinging and being flung, right? Like it's the, the, uh, the, the physics, right. Is, is interesting with that because like you, you'd be, um, you'd be, um, the, the, uh, if you pulled on a, uh, I don't know, a, a flying bus in midair while you were going in one direction, the bus would exert, uh, you know, Newton's laws of motion tell us the bus would exert force on you and you'd, at least have force out you decent you'd accelerate in the the direction of the force the the web uh the web that ah pete i'm going you know and and miles didn't even pass physics right on his report card he didn't, didn't even <laughs> he got pass an a. Physics. what are you talking about oh. he did an a and ap physics oh ap great. physics right it was it was english that he was skipping spanish uh, spanish that he was <laughs> right was oh we got to be you got to spanish was tough and then and then no oh, english was tough and spanish was uh he missed a couple classes and then part of him defying his historicity was that he was you know a latin kid who couldn't speak spanish yeah yeah Yeah. totally so uh so yeah um man and then and then uh and then he's the bad guy at the end he sees himself as the villain maybe i was supposed to be the villain the whole time maybe that's maybe that's the real me spider yeah i mean spider long (laughs) enough you know you live live uh (laughs) 
live live long enough as a spider, you you see yourself become the fly. Uh, or, or he looks at it, he's like, well, at least I wasn't craving the hunter. That would have been awkward. <laughs> it's like a big, like spotted leopard vest, like chest hair poking out. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Prowler's fine. Prowler's good. You know, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not the. I guess the other guy was the lizard guy. But if you had to be any Spider-Man villain, that's not a bad one to have to be because <laughs> a lot of them is pretty unfortunate. What has what their lifestyles like? <laughs> 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 I'm in the spot, you know, like, even, uh, um, all right, well, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should leave it there. Thanks very much, uh, Pete and Mark for, uh, for entering and going across the spider verse, go- going entre the spider verse and, and going sur le spider, le ver spider, uh, avec moi. Um, so let's, uh, let's leave it there and, and move the conversation to the, uh, to the discord server. Thanks everyone for, for listening. Hope you enjoyed this movie as much as we did we had a real blast uh watching it and uh and talking about it we'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast until then you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably probably doesn't deserve Mark, there is a new sequel to that Spider-Man game that just came out. Are you aware this exists? Yes, that's why I'm playing this, so that eventually when it comes out on a computer, I'll play that. It's a PlayStation gotcha. exclusive for now, Pete. Because that was not mentioned. That was conspicuously not mentioned. So I just wanted to clarify that you are aware right. that exists. Matt, I mean, it is. It, it might as well be in a different, uh, different universe because it's on a console that I don't own. <laughs> that's fair enough. Matt. There yes. is a new Hunger Games movie that is coming out next week. Okay. Are you aware that it exists? <laughs> now, it's called The now Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. It is available only on PS5, and I, and I hear tell that it makes you really feel like Spider-Man when you watch it.